Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here. Um, we're kind of continuing this backyard series. We didn't, we weren't intentional with it, but um, except we're not out in the backyard at the moment. Uh, we're down at Pastor Borderlands, uh, very nice back, nicest of the backyards. Or ah, yeah. yours is pretty uh, good too, Mike's Mike. Mike's is nicer than yeah, mine. It's yeah, a, it's a good competition. Um, but but uh, we're inside. Did you know that friends are the family one finds along the way? I did not know that. I I'm think not that's sure. a lovely but now saying. But now sitting here in the Borderland household, I think it's I a lovely that. saying, and yeah. I think that all the people in this if house who look at that, that saying and like of, it are lovely people. If you're going to make people. fun of Sarah's word art and she listens to this, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, so we may not be down recording at Pastor Borderlands again sometime. Um, but we're kind of continuing that backyard series, and I think these episodes have kind of all melded together in a nice way in that they're taking on a feel of um, us getting back to recording again, getting a little bit more, uh, not just theological, but pastoral, um, some more ministry-type focus. Um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be bouncing around. We, Mike and I were talking about ideas for different topics coming up, guests, so we can get some of that kind of eclectic feel that we, we like to have. Um, but I think today will be fun, and we're going to kind of have a few questions that I've come up with, and we'll see how many we get to. But they deal with um, preaching, both as preacher here and long gospel. Does it get old? Um, what's a pastor there for, right? What should you expect from a pastor? What should a pastor expect to be uh, providing, most importantly, to people as well? And we'll work our way down through it. For our free-for-all, I think we have an interesting question, which... Could involve sports, it could not involve sports. It doesn't have to, depending on the answers that we get, but it could. Um, Mike, we're a part of a podcast network. That's 15, an exciting thing, huh? 1517.something. .org, baby. .org. Um, and they, they do podcasts. podcasts. Do they do anything else, Mike? They do blogs. Really? They have academy courses. Any good ones? Yeah. The last one's a little rough. Oh, but really? There's one on vocation that you can take a, a look at. Handsome guy. Yeah, handsome guy. Um, yeah, they got uh, five or six, maybe. maybe they are now starting more. something with music. I saw something with Blake about it. I got to look a little bit more into uh, what they're going to be. Conferences. Going to have one in Las Vegas this uh, this October. That, you, Michael, is one of them. I will be there. Michael is. I will be there. And then um, their publishing arm probably, even though they didn't start doing this start out doing publishing, uh, that's probably become their, I would say, most important thing. Although they maybe agree that, they would maybe disagree with me and say their podcast is still more important. But It's become I've quite the publishing been, house, right. though. I mean, right. it, they are pumping stuff out. Yeah. Steve and uh, and all of them over there, Steve and Sam, and, right? They, yeah. They do a great job. They do. So check them out. Um, more and more, I... When I'm teaching a variety of places in the college or teaching um, or presenting to like teachers or pastors, I, I do try to say, hey, you got you to you look at this because people really are trying to seek the gospel. They know even if they've been lifelong Lutherans or lifelong whatever, um, there's still a hole there for a lot of people. They're not getting gospel preaching like they should and they know it even though if they can't articulate it. Yeah. And so 1517.org like is your uh, one-stop shop for all things gospel. It's like they used to say it, Sam, about the gospel assumed, right? The, yep. The saying, gospel assumed makes an ass out of you and out of me, right? Or or was I, it different, was it? I think it was gospel assumed is the gospel denied. Oh, I think, I think you just took a seminary saying and grandpa saying yeah. and put it together. I'm pretty sure you're an ass Both either of those way. work, though, huh? Yeah. So anyway, uh, check that out. And Actually, gospel assumed doesn't. I would say receiving the gospel makes you the ass like Balaam, right? Who then proclaims the, <laughs> the good news? That's a good segue Christ. into our topic today as we're going to talk about the ass, yeah. pastoral ministry. Um. We have a disclaimer. I did have a question about your shirt, Michael. I just noticed this. Uh, so it's a 2019 St. Louis Blues uh, Stanley Cup Championship shirt, but Gloria. it says Gloria. Yep. What, explain this. That sounds like a were you syncretism. Not, were you not paying attention to NHL playoffs two years ago? No, I don't pay attention to ones that have inconsequential uh, organizations. I got a cup here with Brendan Shanahan yeah. on it. So he used to play for classic. the Blues, but then he moved up. Yeah, he did. To the Red Wings. Uh, the Blues were with Brendan. They had Adam Oates 
Al McKinnis, Brendan Shanahan. Uh, it was a good team. And then it was kind of a small market team that got blowed up. Brett who was, who was, was the stud? That, no, was the, Brett Hall the stud of that team? I think Brett Hall was on his Gloria? way out. But So the That's song Gloria became the uh, the song for the playoff run in St. Louis. Oh, I think I remember. Yeah. Is that the da-da-da? Yeah. yeah. So they, it was being played at, I believe, uh, when the Blues in the playoffs were not doing well or something like that. I, yeah, I'm maybe. Is that, then, that an 80s? Is that an 80s yeah. song? Sounds 80s, right? That yeah. sounds like it's the Blues. So that, like, uh, our, one of our campus pastors, Wayne Chevy, uh, spent his pastoral ministry, oh, probably 16, 17 years maybe, maybe not that long, at least 15 years down in St. Louis. And so when the Blues would score a goal in the Stanley Cup finals, I would call him and just play that. I wouldn't even talk to him. I would just play it to him. Nice. Yeah, so... The uh, it's, it's a nice shirt. Mm-hmm. You're wearing it well. I just couldn't remember what the Gloria meant. Mm-hmm. So were those Stanley Cup finals like on MSNBC or were, did you have to give yeah. them like they were on NBC? They made it all the way, huh? Yeah. I assume like when a big like, market like Hockey Town team makes it, that it's just more national news. You know, we're gonna be there. Like what? How, how many years till we're gonna be there, John? Seven more. I believe in the captain. I say four. Yeah. Four. Um, the Blues and the Red Wings had some. Good battles, and the Red Wings almost always came out on top in the Western Conference in the late 90s when hockey was still popular. So hockey was popular enough that they referred to a football division by the NHL name. Remember, they would talk about the Norris division of the – I mean, who would know that reference today? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think – here's – you're going to get me off topic here on ESPN. You know, lately I'm not – a big fan of ESPN. Yeah, I think, okay, let's save that because <clears throat> what you mentioned to me the other day would be a fun free-for-all discussion. Let's just say right now that ESPN puts itself into mm-hmm. into situations where uh, journalism integrity is no longer a thing for them. But they are the worldwide leader. Right. Yeah. When ESPN and the NHL did not come to terms, that was when NHL started to dive. Right. Which is unfortunate. But, uh, but those uh, are my favorite. I believe ESPN actually is is picking up in the NHL, so we'll see if there's enough there to resurrect the uh, popularity. Yeah. St. Right. Louis is a good hockey town, by the way. This show doesn't speak for you guys or your yeah, employers. Go ahead. Or... I, St. Louis was. I've been to St. Louis with you. I've been to St. Louis with others, and uh, no, I, I do think it for baseball and hockey it seems like it'd be a cool vibe. Mm-hmm. Just gotta get out before the the riots and stuff. We went to St. Louis right once together. Yeah, that was a fun trip. The uh, that was a good trip. Until two lawyers pulled guns on me. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> Disclaimer. They got pardoned, so it's like it never happened. All right, I'm sorry. <clears throat> we uh, we'll go ahead and get to our disclaimer then before we make our way into our free for all, which will be my mother just bought this shirt for me, by the way. And you have so, a lovely mother. All right. So I think that was nice of her, since you enjoy okay. that that team, to buy you that shirt. My mom bought me this hockey cup. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this show doesn't speak for our church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as responsible president to planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize that you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hi, we're back for the free-for-all. Our free-for-all today is, uh, this is the way I'm going to put it, uh, what would you be willing to give your left arm for. Now we have some ground rules. It can't be super pious things like everybody comes to Jesus, nor can it be even like lesser pious things like my kid never gets cancer. And world hunger. World, yeah, you know, or world peace or anything like this. So it doesn't have to be like overly self-indulgent, but it's self-indulgent in, in a certain sense. It's one of those lower things. It's an ancillary, right? secondary right. aspect, but it might it might be like a part of who you are in a sense, like 
Mike's a blues fan, right? right. So that that would be. Um, I was thinking about the, this answer before you started making fun of my shirt. That I didn't make fun of it. I asked about it. I Thank went, you. Uh, I wouldn't. He could have made fun of like how it, how it, how it wears. <laughs> how it wears on me. Not the. Um, because all of my basically all of my sports teams have won championships multiple times, except for the Blues, and they won their first couple years ago. So briefly, I, your sports would teams are be. so Cardinals and Blues in St. Louis, and picked up the Lakers in L.A. and. Uh, than uh, college sports Michigan. See, I don't think Michigan counts, though, because most of their championships were before uh, segregation ended. And you did not name no. an NFL team. Like no, a I lot of the glory that. days. Well, they won 98. A different day in America. They won in 98. Huh? Michigan football won in 98. 1898? 97. <laughs> they 97. won 1892, I think. 97, they won a share 97. of 97. No, nope. that was, nope. I, I covered this when I was a Parish pastor in right. Nebraska. They won the whole thing. So... Anyway, I don't have I don't I I have lived a very charmed life when it comes to sports teams. They won like field hockey in 1873. You go first. What what would you would you give your left arm for? I had some more Michigan material. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I honestly would be very tempted to do um, a sports one. Uh, if I did a sports one, I would definitely say a Lions Super Bowl. Like if the idea was they win one Super Bowl and then they're just terrible again forever, but we get that one, right? I'd be tempted to agree with that because it's something that can only be one time, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think I'd maybe go with um, have like a a year where I could take the family and we just stay in Europe, right? Um, we got to do a lot of time in Europe when they were younger, but already like – They'll be like, oh, I don't remember that place, whatever. So I'd say like a year where we're not there to work, if possible, and we're not there for school. But like a, just a – that's a secondary thing. Like it's a vacation. But So I think I would maybe go with that, followed by um, – I would just honestly take one Lions Super Bowl. Like I, we, I've had really good luck, Tigers, Red Wings, Pistons in my lifetime. Right? I think, John, we've, we've had a fair amount. Um, Way more than Mike has had. Despite my joking, you guys have had – your Mich- Michigan has had some good years. The Spartans have had good Spartan years. I mean, as far as it goes for Spartans. But uh, I would put Lions second, I definitely. But I think first would be, like, that I could take all the kids, you know, and just have, like, a year there. So Did you already do that? Yeah, but now that they're old enough to remember it. So by his answer, what I was thinking of beforehand was, can what I give my left arm for equate to what Wade's already been able to do? <laughs> and take a sabbatical. But, like, I wouldn't take a sabbatical to, like, go do some smart guy studying thing. But thinking about taking a sabbatical for the the ability to travel with my – I was thinking my family. I was thinking my wife. And um, also, um, the uh, had a brother pastor who said, we're about at that age, the mid-40s, where we should take a sabbatical for ministry and just go get a real job for a year. And that would be a blessing to our ministry. So if I could get my left arm um, to work a – an eight to four thirty job that would support my family, and I could come back and be a parish pastor six months later, and maybe the Croatia, Italy trip with uh, my wife for a month. Is that asking you too much? You made that kind half pious. You you should Who start you sabbatical for the good of your parish. Well, I didn't know because what I was going to say was I would I'd, stop giving probably. I would give. I would. I would give my left arm to do what Wade did a few years ago. You can combine that. I mean, you could probably get a job for six months in Europe. And then, I could. Yeah. <clears throat> they only you work know like that, 30 uh, hours a week there. So That uh, ferry that we were on in Croatia, we met that couple from North Carolina. Remember that? Yeah. I, I was just referencing that to Trisha the other day because I I wanted to take her to Croatia since we went. That was, I have to say, um, because of the company, but also where we went, that was one of my favorite trips I've ever been on. John and I got to go to Croatia and uh for an academic conference I was part of, but also to go see some family he had from over there. I thought about that when you tell that story. Like, I went to Croatia, and then you tell the story. And then, why did you go to Croatia? Because uh, my friend was talking there. <laughs> and it, but I was thinking, that couple from North Carolina who, like, had an apartment over for yeah. three months, like, but to have the job, like, like I could drive that ferry, Yeah, you know? Yeah, I, I literally was that exact family explaining to Trisha, like, you know, like, it probably isn't a bad investment, <laughs> you know, and then, like, if as we got older, 
we could pay each year for one set of kids to come over with whoever significant other. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a nice gig they had going there. And that it was not that much of a ride to get back to mainland. The reason they were taking a ferry was they were on an island, Island of Stress, and then they would have to take the ferry back to the mainland. Um, but, yeah, that'd be a good gig. So if the island is C-R-E-S, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, we I believe we're saying Cress. <laughs> we were saying Crace. Crace. Yeah. When we first got there, and then we learned, uh, which people wouldn't even be like, oh, you mean stress. They had no clue. So we were saying it we wrong that enough bad. that there was no mental connection in their head until we figured out it's stress. And the the tagline for the island of stress, there is no stress on stress. stress. Yeah. That was uh, the first, I think that was the first place I've ever seen um, fully nude senior citizens. Was that on stress, or was that when we were in the resort area? That was when we were. Where we the went for that area. walk along the beach, and then we didn't realize that um, some of the uh, the Germans that come down. It's always the Germans. And I would say um, it, it was a little bit traumatic. Yeah. Um, but it was on stress. Very tanned people. Very tanned. But uh, yeah, Mike, did you say yours? No. Um, if he says right now, he'd give his left arm to go <laughs> to, to the beach. Sun. To the bathe in Croatian Croatia. sun. Uh, no, I, traveling is a good one. I, I probably would 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 take that. Um, I I always said that I would give my left arm for musical talent or maybe more linguistic talent. I'm, those are my two big uh, places where I I just don't have talent. Um, I would I, I would. It, if I had a remote control that can control the volume of Wade. <laughs> Are you saying I'm loud? It would also have like a mute button on it. I'd give my left arm for that. I don't uh I don't begrudge you that. I would think yeah, I would save I you. I think it would I think it would save you. It'd be as much as uh, My comfort is saving you. From- I feel like most of the stuff I say that becomes issues that we have to deal with, I actually say when you're not there, and then I come to you to tell you the story about fair, how I said Fair that. enough. And then usually, sometimes as the that, department, I, then I'd then have, to have, have like to deal with it. Closed circuit TV. With you would have to have some way to listen in, because I feel talking to you actually stops me from saying some of the stuff that becomes problematic. Yeah. The problem is when you're not there and I'm talking. Well, and, and I hope you appreciate that I never... Well, rarely do I say don't say that. Right. I have subtle I, ways. I feel of, like you know I need to get it out. I uh, I have subtle ways of saying, uh, you know. You let, you draw it out of me, and then I think you just trust. And I just kind of take down. it, and then yeah, yeah. Okay. You guys okay? But you know yeah. now is going to be good. Is um, we have a classmate who is now going to be a, a colleague, a friend of mine. He'll be on the podcast um, soon. I'm his sure. office is going to be right across. So Mike is. I go out to the right. And um, uh, Professor Oakland's office is going to be straight across from me. And a little bit to the left. I yeah. just the other day noticed, like, I really was splitting time between you guys. Yep, yep. So I feel like it's going to kind of have a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be You're going to get most of the complaining because it's Jason gonna be good isn't for me. there long enough. Yeah. Like to, um, but I feel like it will be. It's going to be good for me. I think overall. <laughs> all right. I think that was enough for our free for, free for all. We'll be back with our main but topic. You, well, you said language or music. You didn't specify it. John's going to Croatia with his wife to work. I'm going to Europe with my family, maybe getting a line Super Bowl. What, what music, music? Music talent. Just talent. Be able to read music and play music and sing. Like and sing. No, just I'm That's not good at it. So. brings us to our main topic, um, which is going to be a a few topics. Uh, We kind of talked about this, and we said each of these, maybe uh, tonight wouldn't be our night for them to be a full episode. I think they maybe could be with, um, if we attached a reading to them or stuff like that. But uh, as uh, just a few things that are connected in their focus, 
I just have, last night we were thinking of ideas, and I typed out probably about 10 or so. And I have a few from there that I'm going to take, and then I'll toss them out um, for the guys to respond to. And obviously I'll probably jump in, hopefully not interrupting, but probably interrupting um, as we discuss them. And uh, they'll all relate to, to ministry, um, and I would say uh, to a great extent to pastoral ministry. But I think when we talk about these topics, hopefully um, it benefits not only the people in the office of the ministry, um, but those who are recipients of the gifts it brings. Because, for instance, when we talk about preaching, I talk about preaching now primarily as a hearer. I mean, it's been seven years at the college. I'm going on my eighth year. Um, and I hear preaching a lot more than I guess preach. Uh, and so, um, but I have my plenty of preaching I still do. Mike, you do more preaching than me. Um, and John, you're preaching probably a ton, I'm guessing, with uh, being down a guy right now in the in the in the parish, so or two guys until. Um, but also, I think for hearers to keep in mind, uh, or to think about, what are the better sermons you've heard, and why do you think they're the better sermons you've heard? And I would wager that for a lot of people, about half of those better sermons they've heard are actually better sermons, and about half are not all that Christian, but they were put together well, if that makes sense. And I would say that's probably true for preachers, too. Usually on that Sunday, um, when I thought it was going to be one of my better sermons, it either tanked or it, it went over well, but maybe not because of how biblical it was, but because I had, it was crafted well, had a good story, whatever. And I would say about half of those that I can remember that really probably were my better sermons um, were actually textual law gospel, like that's what drove them. I'm not saying I ever tried to preach a non-textual sermon. Um, but the first question then relating to that, and I'll throw it out to Mike. Uh, John has requested to go third on this one, so then I'll give my brief thoughts, hopefully brief, after Michael. Um, what uh, the, the question in general, and you can take it wherever you want, but how have our views of preaching changed since the seminary? And I, I put it that way not because... Um, I expect us to have a discussion of what we were taught at seminary or anything like that. Um, but because that was simply in our lives the transition point from being primarily hearers of sermons, um, people who were being mentored by preachers or who were leaving some with much of their idea of preaching shaped by the preachers they've had in their life, um, but who had also spent um, three, four years reading books on homiletics the art of preaching, um, who had written sermons in homiletical courses, but sermons that were definitely under the guidance of someone else and with a, I would say a, a mold we were somewhat, uh, or an outline at least, a format that we were encouraged to follow, which um, is good anytime someone begins a discipline. Um, so that is kind of the, the shifting point maybe. Uh, I was 2004, I graduated, some of you guys were five, right? So we're looking back with uh, 16, 15, or no, 16 or 17 years of experience. Mike, I'll throw it to you first. The question again, how your view of preaching has changed since Sem? Um, I don't know that it's changed dramatically. Um, I think probably the biggest thing is it, you kind of – touched on it already that you got to you come out with kind of a, a format of to follow which you have to I mean I'm glad that they gave us a two-part theme in two parts right um, but when somebody asks me like if I'm guest preaching oh what's your theme I go I don't know I don't I don't I don't think about I don't think about a theme right I, that that's so foreign to me to think about a theme let alone parts and I think maybe that the the thing that clicked in me was when you're writing something, when you're you're writing a textual sermon, you're letting the text come and and overtake you. And so sometimes that's art. It's very artificial to take a text written, uh, you know, in first century Palestine or even before that, into this kind of uh, let's say something that is design not not necessarily for for teaching although that's true but for communication right which is fine i, I we had you got to give those guys you had to give us something to go on 
but I think I probably, well, I don't think I ever preached a, a theme and part sermon after I was, nobody was approving my sermons before yeah. I preached them. But to say the text itself is going to give me the form as well. Right. right. So, you know, that can be very difficult because you're not, I'm not saying if you're preaching on a parable, then you should write a parable. I'm not saying that. Um, what I am saying though, is, um, there doesn't have to be two parts or three parts or however, there doesn't have to be kind of a, uh, you don't always have to make an argument. You don't always have to teach. I, I think when I talk about a sermon in worship class, I say, I say something like a sermon's not didactic, but it teaches a sermon is not an inspiring story, but it should inspire it. it those things happen organically. They happen naturally instead of trying to. So I, I think maybe if I could sum up my answer this way is to say, I really stopped worrying about form and started thinking more about the text. The second big jump was, um, and this takes a while, um, you started preaching to people, right? You had to first get to know the people, but you also had to have experience with people, not, not necessarily those people, but with people. Uh, I, I think we've mentioned this before that if the I... People are kind of a text of their own. Right. Yeah. It, it's, you, and it, it's more than just a generic applying this, right? It is... It's something you can't always quite put your finger on until you've lived and breathed and ate and uh, cried and been at the deathbed and been at the weddings, been at the baptisms with these people um, to speak to them, right? Um, and and you just you can't do that when you're coming out of seminary because a you don't have the experience and b you don't know those people yet, right? So it's hard to articulate it, but I think that's probably the second biggest step. And, to finish my point and then I'll, I'll be done. We've said this before, or I've said this before that when I got into a rut in preaching cause number one would be, didn't, I didn't do the homework when it came to the text study. Cause number two was if I hadn't read widely, as in I had, I, for a while I didn't, I was only reading theology and I wasn't reading a novel or the newspaper or a magazine. There's something, right. you, there's something you just said there about, uh, you know, being, being with the people. And, and when you first come out, you, you said, Oh, listen, I, I think back to my shame. Um, the, how many times early on in the ministry, you know, just trying to safeguard the t time for proper sermon preparation. And of course that's important, but you know, how many times I was with people that, would have been great time for sermon preparation, but I was too dull and too dense to, to, to actually listen to what was going on. Thinking about how I need to get back and work on my sermon when the reality was you were working, on you work at, Yeah. If, if, if only you would listen to God's people crying out. So our, um, you, you brought up something, um, Mike and John that maybe you guys can, uh, can hit on a little bit more. And that would be, um, and I guess I, 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 you know, joked about the people being the text, but, uh, what do you think, uh, as far as this isn't necessarily a change in, um, how one viewed the sermon, but it's a change in how we're preaching because we're preaching to people we actually know as we go out to what extent, uh, do you find that your hearers when you're preaching good pastoral <clears throat> law gospel textual sermons um to what extent do they inform that and how do they inform that maybe and i think you you hit it on a little bit john when you mentioned visits but well i think we all probably had that moment when we read gerhard Friede and and heard that theology was for proclamation probably i think hit all three of us like a thunderbolt like a big dumb moment there right which is now reading reading back that into Luther, you go, yeah, right. Just reading, uh, Robert Kolb's, the enduring word, the, the Wittenberg school and, and, uh, sort of, I mean, not directly, but does kind of talk about that when he talks about Luther in the sermon, um, that Luther had his own progression too, when he, 
uh, his early sermons to his later sermons, um, which I think probably all good pastors probably follow in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember early on in my ministry, uh, you know, back in the Nebraska district, uh, pastors' conferences were smaller and guys were assigned conference papers still. And so you were, I probably wrote three or four conference papers in my first five years. And one of them, I can still remember, I think the working title was kind of something along the lines of uh, the real presence um, of the word in preaching. And that wasn't the exact title, but, and that was a shift for me in thinking this, this, this is that whether you use the term Mike didactic preaching, but you know, this, this is not about imparting the knowledge. And yes, I understand there is a time to impart the knowledge, but do we really believe that Jesus does what he says he's going to do um, in the preaching of that word? And so, yeah, I, now looking back again to my shame of some certain passages like the, 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 the creative action of the word, let there be light. And then St. Paul saying something similar about, um, this is, this is how, this is how faith I'm planking on the passage, right? I think he actually references, let there be light and then connects it to, I may be wrong, but connects it to the Holy spirit working faith in dead hearts through the word, right? So the word that the preacher proclaims um, has creative power, right? So if, if, if that's the case, then as we said off air, John, I, I don't know that I'm going to spend too much time talking to, about the dimensions of the Sea of Galilee unless it's directly going to apply to something that a point that I, I, I want to make, right? Uh, if if the point's not the gospel, I, you know, it's just trivia. It's just trivia right. in the end. And nowhere do you nowhere do you see in the Old Testament or the New Testament um, anybody being hailed as uh, you know a trivia buff of <laughs> biblical knowledge or theological knowledge, right? I I, I can't think of any place where. Anybody um, puts Gamaliel, you know, the Paul, but that's the rabbinic, I, rabbinic right. or rabbis. No, and I but, feel, but, 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 but I, you can respect that rabbinical no, I'm heritage. Pro, I'm trying to prove of, your right. point by saying that yeah. wasn't a, a sure. New Testament point, but Paul throws that as, out as like, I was that Gamaliel? Did he study, study under? I'll have to look up who Paul said, but like that was more like an academic CV. It wasn't sure. No, I was, uh, I lost my point. Um, sorry, keep going. It was. What were you just saying before the Gamaliel thing? The the power of the word, the creative power of the word. That Oh, yeah. Up, yeah. And so and I feel bad almost quoting this because I remember where it came from first. But it was early on. And I don't know if it was like I was at a conference or listen to – that wasn't even a podcast or a thing there, a journal article. Like, uh, preacher, do you believe that what you say matters? And like – Call um, by yeah, for fifteen, seventeen. Just yeah, well, that the, that's what brought it to attention yeah. now. But it was, it, I mean, this is fifteen years ago. Um, the thought, please uh, scrawl it in big letters across the top of the manuscript. What's the point? And do you believe that Jesus actually has something to say here? And I, that was at the time I wasn't thinking about this. Isn't the size of the Sea of Galilee, or you know? But um, my goodness, these people who actually came there that day and right. They're, they have lots of other places to be, and actually, they have a lot of other preachers to listen to. And now, in our day and age, can listen to those preachers without ever, you know, going anywhere. A lot better preachers right. uh, than me. Do you believe that this time actually matters? Um, and to back to Mike's point, then, well, uh, spending that time with your people and with the text, yeah. I, I mean, I can't think of how many Saturdays I've prayed for the people to be there on Sunday who I want want to speak. Not yep. because I'm trying to enact yep. some. This is a shift. Maybe I'm all over the map, but um, not because I want Mike Berg to be in church on Sunday. Because by golly, he needs a change, and we need more money out of that guy's pocket. And I got the sermon for that. I bet he doesn't give much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, anyway, that's a different subject. But um, yeah, and and if I was ever tempted to have a long rambling story at the beginning of a sermon um, that stops me. Like, I mean, what, what arrogance to think that these people came to listen to your whatever. Now, with that said, and here's the difference between teaching and preaching, one of the differences between teaching and preaching, 
those analogies and stories, and I'm not talking about something short or an example. I'm talking about these long things about your dog on vacation that nobody cares about. As Professor Deutschlander would say, do you really want the people to know how boring your life is? <laughs> You're not that interested. Um, those things are very helpful in Bible class, right? But the difference there is you're, you are, you are, while you're still preaching and proclaiming, you are teaching there, right? And that there's something different about proclaiming versus then a didactic thing. And, uh, it's just, if you really, if you really understood the power of the word and, and what was coming out of your mouth, I just think preachers would probably, um, I don't want to say take it more seriously, but just understand the gravitas of the situation. I think it would change. I think it would change the the tone and the tenor. Yeah, I would hit on a couple things, I guess, for mine that, and then uh, throw it back to you guys. But I would echo the didactic thing. But I, I think I want to clarify something with it. I was going to say, and then John said, "What's the point?" Which is a good point. Um, but that the sermon's not primarily about making a point. And I think the distinction there is like, this is not, the temptation can become that every sermon right has this kind of telos in, in, in sanctification that um, it lends itself to like one big either catechetical or law point. And, for and you mean sanctification, not like now go do in the narrow deeds. sense, the Christian life. But, but like even a broad, broader sense than just go do stuff, but right. like, a, yeah, okay. And even sanctification in, a, in what I would consider not biblical sense is some people um, will make it, you know, um, think of like American evangelicalism. <clears throat> but, um, but there is a point to preaching, and I think that's where I would say, um, as as John has said, I would often tell my, my people and, and tell my council and elders, you know, yes, we should always be concerned if there aren't as many people there as we hope. Although, you know, we were blessed with more attending than ever should have listened to me. Um, but we should never lose the amazement at the people who do show. And I would say with that, I grew to want to treat each sermon like it might be the last sermon my member hears, right? And what would, um, would they leave absolved, right? What would have stuck with them? And I think that we'll get into the second topic, which maybe we won't even get to in this episode because I think we've had good conversation. But I think the distinction in that <clears throat> is that um, catechal, catechal sermons are fine. Luther preached many. Um, now I would note, you can correct me, Mike, he often preached them in a midweek type service setting, where you had matins and vespers, um, it, wasn't, historical it wasn't the context. Alpagastines, the yeah. chief service. Um, Luther <laughs> often made didactic points in his sermons. And I'll be honest, um, Luther's not the only preacher in the history of the church. There's things we can take from and want to do differently. I don't preach for an hour. <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes I read Luther's sermons, and I, I think he should not have talked about monks so much. <laughs> Even just given the historical context, I understand it was important, but like... It didn't have to come up every sermon. Uh, but even when, you know, you have the didactic or the catechetical, um, that there's still pastoral and evangelical, small e, not American evangelicalism, but gospel-centered, um, that, uh, that Jesus isn't an afterthought appended on, and that the primary thing that the parishioner leaves with, should this be their last sermon, um, is uh, with no doubt about the love of God. No, right. to that to that point, it was very early on in my ministry, there was a, a circumstance in the parish that just called on me on a Saturday night to take a look at the sermon that I had prepared and say, this is not what this small uh, community needs. And they say, not that it wasn't biblical, not that it wasn't textual, but it, I guess I was thankful for that so early on uh, to the point of um, this is what these people need. And then and then growing into the understanding, well, isn't that kind of what they need every week, right? right? Um, to and, the the, and just briefly, right, Our ch the church fathers early on recognized this and put together pericopes that 
protect us from the types of series that would take us out of the text and out of that focus, right? That that. Um, but I, yeah, go ahead. No, but because I would find myself when I wanted to do a series or import something into the text, right? It oftentimes one of those texts really did give me what my people needed to hear. But sorry. No, good. No, I I think uh, at least when I was tempted to do exactly what you said, it's almost always because I was. I I wanted to preach law to them, or I, I wanted to sound smart and talk about I to wanted, show I went to seminary. Yeah, it, either way, self justification on right. some kind of level. Yeah, I mean I what we started to do with the catechetical stuff at my last couple years, I started doing Ember Days, which has a long history both in the Catholic Church and the and the and Lutheran Church, and I use those as as a reminder of cat the catechism. So purposely tried to say, okay, we will remind ourselves of, of some of this catechetical stuff. And I think it was a hat tip to, uh, the history of, of Luther and his series on, uh, and using, using the, the pulpit often for, uh, f- for teaching and, yeah. and his hymnody and stuff. But even with that, Michael, I would guess, um, as with Luther, Oftentimes, those catechetical emphases took on a Bible story, and so they still became right. about a text. I absolutely mean, love to do that as well. Right, absolutely, you know? yeah. So I think there's, I, I, I'm not a big fan of. So this guy's in, in summer is going to do eight weeks on stewardship or whatever. I it, it always ends up being, almost always ends up being law driven. I got a problem that needs to be fixed in this parish. Well, be careful. Right, because there's lots of problems, and probably the main problem is that you're not preaching the gospel. If what, how did you pose the original question? Like, what's changed? How your or, view of preaching has changed? Yeah, since, uh, I would say, and this has been a long, slow lesson for me. But how many times I was approaching a pulpit on a Sunday morning, thinking, "Oh man, this week for whether it was the pastoral care side of things, or I was gone for four days at a conference, whatever, whatever." And those, by golly, were the, the sermons where you'd walk out and uh, and you just know it had touched people in a way and to God's to God's credit, of course. But like, okay, what was it about those weeks that made that sermon different? Um, I was either well-read or in good conversation with the brothers or deep into scriptural study that just made the sermon all that richer or um, I was with my people in a way that I hadn't been in weeks on end right. and it's just... Um, like I'm a really slow learner, but okay, if those are the truths that need <laughs> that make for a good sermon, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think this gets at something that you, um, I think, said uh, when we were before we started recording um, that maybe you've aimed more, and I would say this is true for me, for not that you aim for the heart and not the head, but I think coming out of Sam, I probably definitely aim for the head more than the heart early on. Um, and I would agree that I find myself now often aiming for the heart as much as, if not more than the head sometimes. And I would I would put it like this, um, like Trinity Sunday in a church here. It's a wonderful Sunday. It is super tempting to make Trinity Sunday Catechism Trinity Lesson Sunday. And uh, there's importance to that, but there's that's also every Sunday because we speak the creeds, <clears throat> which hopefully we're teaching. Um but I would say the longer I've been out, the more I look forward to Trinity Sunday um, being about me being taken up into this family of God um, and what those persons of the Trinity do for me, right? Which I'm going to get a lot more out of than using that opportunity um, to talk about the communication of attributes. Um, I hope and I, a lot of pastors are preaching about the communication of attributes. But if we can use that example to take that to other texts, um, there are t- other texts where we can be tempted to act like that. Um, and I think... Uh, and sometimes that's easier, right? You just kind of rely on some of that knowledge, book knowledge that you had to memorize years ago, yeah? Yeah, and I think um, that I would say consolation is just a word that comes to mind. Um, when I do find myself still wanting to be somewhat didactic, it's with an end goal of consolation. And I could see that being the case even in a sermon series on the commandments. 
because A, you're going to be absolving people who haven't kept them, but B, again and again, as we teach the commandments, we see God's love for us um, in what he uh, has given us in creation and how he would have us relate to it for our benefit um, and how he continues to give these gifts even though we have often um, taken them for, for granted. So I think uh, that that idea of where is the consolation in this text or in this um, minor festival, right, um, is something that is, is probably drawn more and more out of those days for me of the church here than I maybe got out of when I first was out of the parish. It's your guys' podcast, so I don't want to hijack it. I'll ask a question, and you guys say if you want to answer it or not. I'm not um, going to make the joke that I will make the joke to you, two brothers, later, um, but not right now. Okay. The we talked about you know how our view of about how our view of preaching has changed and what has changed. We ask Wade, we can hear you whispering. No, you, you can't. Yeah, what did you say? I just. Sort of, I was telling Mike the joke. And then, um, but you said you weren't going to. Um, how our view of, pre- like, what things have changed our view of preaching? Can I ask the question, uh, what what uh, people have influenced you in in your preaching uh, sure. as, a, I, as a change? This is another question for a future episode, too, but I think not related to preaching, but just our theology, so I think this is good. Um, <clears throat> I would say single most important one for me um, was beyond a doubt, um, I would say high up would be um, Pastor Virtz who confirmed me and ordained me and um, brought me into Lutheranism, uh, but would be uh, Professor Deutschlander that we had at the college. Um, and that's because I came to MLC without even a full year of Lutheranism under my belt, um, having come out of Roman Catholicism. I've been catechized well, but the, the Lutheran experience, especially former synodical churches, it's a pretty weird experience um, to be like set down in the middle like the heart of the belly of the culture that comes with it. And not that it's a, a bad, cu- I mean, every culture has problematic things, but just like acronyms are being thrown at you all the time. And um, you're coming in in the, the learning curve. You're now at a college level, you know, getting these doctrine down, whatever. And I would say he was the most demanding professor I ever had, um, right, to the point of, uh, you know, telling me I should become Lutheran. Um, but also... Uh, when you got to know him when he called you into his office and he was pastoral. That's um, another episode. That voice was the voice you heard in the pulpit. And to hear the preacher's voice be the voice that has um, not hidden your um, where you need to grow, but has also not let you walk by without calling you in, as if some days God just knew, right, um, you need to be calling. I would say having that voice, um, and I remember his, you know, um, Professor Deutschlander preaching in Lent and telling us to to tell the Lamb of God to go, suffer, die, um, and how we have to say this because this is our salvation. And I don't think there's been a good Friday where that sermon has not rung in my ears um, as I prepared to preach or um, before that as I prepared um, a text. Um Professor Deutschlander, I think on a Sunday, probably preached longer than me, um, but he didn't preach way long. Um, and he preached uh, in a, he was, he himself was taught by preachers. He had a way, even in, in, in German, when he would give us um, Lutheran theologians from the past to, to, to do with our new German to, to practice on, almost always it was um, devotional materials or pastoral materials. Um, of these great preachers, and uh, I think in that tradition, um, I and I, I hear this even in John's voice when John preaches sometimes, and I know I do this, we can even, when we get to a particular gospel point, we even, almost even take on the affect of Professor Deutschlander's voice, mm-hmm. and I've heard that with many brothers in the wells, and I don't mean feigning an accent or anything else, but the, the cadence um, and the emphasis and the words, um, I would say he left a mark, and precisely because this man who could cut you to the core. The law was not missing, um, but he, while he, if, while he was in that relationship with you as professor and preacher, that voice became for you the voice of Christ. 
and not in some cultish, weird way. Um, and I've had that with certain other preachers at certain times, but I would say that was one that really stuck with me. Um, the same as my, my, my home, original home pastor who brought me into Lutheranism. Um, there's just certain things that I'll always hear in his voice that are wonderful gospel things. But sorry, I went long on that, but... Oh, that's good. Mike? Yeah, I, I think we all would would say uh, Professor Deutschlander can remember sermons that he that he preached. I know I do. Um, I'll just add one thing to that, that he, while everybody else was, was... You know what he used to tell me all the time? Hmm. Go light a candle on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I won't tell... Well, anyway. Never mind. Um, while everybody else was trying to be funny or popular or lighthearted in yeah in the 80s and 90s he was able to be serious without being dry and aloof right Mm -hmm. and i out my father obviously was a was a, a big influence preaching wise too but i'll maybe take a different uh turn and say actually a, a lot of great uh, speeches I think have influenced me as well that were not religious I think there's uh, there's a, a passion there that can that that I know that I've tried to emulate without being kind of a um, I don't know fire fire and brimstone kind of thing Um we've talked about this before that if you wanted to have a different job, I, and if I could, and if I could do it without selling my soul, I would like to be a speechwriter for a politician. You, you wouldn't be able to do it. Just the high rhetoric, right. I think is, was just such a sharp contrast to the preaching that was, that we grew up with. Right. Uh, it was, it was almost fashionable to be, uh, just kind of down to earth, kind of whatever. And that was a, Typical baby boomer reaction to the greatest generation. I don't like those terms necessarily, but I I see myself as a as a child of baby boomers, but a but a grandchild of the greatest generation. I don't mean my family. I mean my teachers, my politicians, my people sure. on TV, that kind of thing. And they're doing this battle, and it was always a black and white battle. You know, either you were about truth or love either you were about tradition or you were about blowing up tradition. And it was like, I, you just eventually you just rolled your eyes at that. You know, I roll my eyes when somebody uses the word worship wars of, of, you know, a pox upon both your houses. Worship wars. Yeah. A pox no, upon your house. He didn't worship wars. A pox upon your house. But you're not rolling your eyes. I'm rolling my eyes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that there is something to be said about, just the ability to, and I don't mean getting into the nuts and bolts about cadence and stuff like that, but I, th- I, cadence is really important. Tenor is really important. And um, I think without thinking about it or reading about it um, in an academic way, uh, those kinds of speeches have influenced me. So maybe not a... Uh like a homiletics type thing of here's a narrative type sermon, here's whatever, but a what's good speech. Right. I mean, pacing, cadence. Right. Um, what's a delivery worthy of the gospel? Yeah, that, that kind of, and I don't, again, I don't mean in an academic stilted way because then you're just going to lose it, but it comes from passion. It comes from understanding how important this is. It comes from, just knowing what a privilege it is. And it comes from, like you said, this could be the last sermon that, uh, that, you know, that Mildred's going to hear. <laughs> right. No, right. Right. To what you said there. I think about one of the blessings of our training, I would say is just how many different preachers we've listened to in different settings as that carries on in the ministry. And if I had to name some of my favorite preachers, and I, I think the common denominator is, is not their style or not their ability to turn a phrase or, or anything like that, or not how textual they are, they're textual, that the common denominator is they, it comes through in their preaching that they are pastors and that they've wrestled with people through the nitty gritty and they just want you to know 
to hear, to believe that this, that this too is for you. Um, and then I think about different guys that I hear, you know, and that, and then I can listen to a guy go for 35 minutes if, if he's understanding that, you know, and, uh, and I think I've grown in charity in my hearing in the years, uh, in the years, recognizing, uh, how the Lord uses those different pastors and pastoral hearts, um, to that end. So, yeah, we've talked about that before that, that I like the word charity there with talk about oh there's that old pastor who's stuck in his ways or whatever and then you get to know him and talk talk to him about his battles and and you're like there's some wisdom there that i i you know maybe i wouldn't have done anything everything the way he did it but uh i i always said that that my predecessors um over the years i grew in appreciation of them even though i didn't know them right because you come in and you're like, well, that previous pastors or was this, that, and the other thing. Hope you're not like that, right? You know, and then you start to appreciate them after five, ten years. Yeah, I just a couple quick thoughts, and then I'll let you guys wrap it up. I think um, along those lines, um, I think uh, something I've, I've grown in appreciation for is that with preaching being a craft, my best sermons I kind of lost myself in. If that makes sense, I don't even have that. Well, you're in the pulpit and there's a sermon that you're just, you're not recalling notes. You're not um, married necessarily to the manuscript. And I don't mean because you've necessarily prepared that well, that you've memorized it that well, but it's somehow, whether it's the visits that week or what you've done or where you were at in your life and where the text hit, um, there is that, those special times, I guess, that the Lord gives you, or at least I felt like he's given me where that sermon just came out of you, right? Um, and I think a step towards that is to not put too much pressure on any one sermon because that's not ever anything I was able to create or force. Um, I think it was more in those weeks, as you said, John, where you've been with people or you've been listening, you've been receptive, and, uh, and then it just you see your people and it pours out. Or you don't even see your people, but you're somewhere, and right, this is. Um, and I think when you put too much pressure on one sermon, you kind of strangle. You're holding it too tightly, um, and so I think you know um, you do your exegetical work, which is important. Um, but the goal of the sermon isn't to demonstrate that you've done your exegetical work, right? So that your people know you're doing your job. Um, you know, you do your. Uh, um, thinking through lost gospel, you know, if you have to use a formula, that's fine, but you, you know, you, you, you put thought into that thing, but at the same time, uh, that we not lose faith that the Lord will, um, work through what we bring when we're bringing, uh, good news of glad, glad tidings. And so, um, I don't know if I'm saying that well, to not put too much pressure on one sermon, but to, to, um, to not make yourself, um, more than you are as a conduit, you know, uh, to not, the Lord hasn't, hasn't put on our shoulders, um, what he assigns to the spirit. And I, I don't mean by that to excuse a laziness that goes well, um, but just to. No, when you're saying that I was thinking about, okay, if there's a seminary and listening to our podcast, which I think there are on occasion, like you're not going to be able to do this week one and that's okay. Right. Right. And. Uh, in fact, it, you'll look back and you'll say it was not because I changed anything. It was because the parish experience changed me, Pro probably mellowed you out a little bit, probably softened your heart, um, where, where it turns out that you got called to a group of sinners, right? right? And, and, you know, they're going to be nice to you for the most part, but it's not like you're like their be all and the end all, right? Um, even though it, they are for you, right? Cause they're your, 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 your parishioners. Um, it, it just, there's just no other way but to live that theology of the cross. Right. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, that's a great blessing of parish life that I, that I do miss, um, is you are in many ways being shaped by the church here just again and again. And it's a, a wonderful thing to have. Um, but yeah, when it just flows, it's, it's those weeks where, um, the text took hold of you. Right, 
Um, and maybe without you even realizing it, but just somehow that it grabbed you. Um, and that's part of the point of study, so it has the opportunities to do that. Um, but, uh, and that's where I was very big early on. I'm like, I'm going to plan out like this. I'm going to preach all the gospel texts this year, or I'm going to preach all whatever. And it's cool when people do that. That's fine. I don't begrudge them it. But more and more I found like, I don't like pigeonholing myself in. Like, you know. Um, yeah, 15 weeks from now, is, you're going to be a completely different person and the yeah, pair is going to be different. And you just, yeah. And sometimes something just hits and, you know, you. Um, I don't know. I think that, you know, you, you, you really let the church here serve you well, you know. Um, and that's harder as a hearer, but I would say it's something hopefully as, as hearers that when we put effort into, we can um, richly benefit from. And I think that's something that, Pastors often are and can be very helpful in, in helping us, helping us do. Um, well, good. We're we all uh, preach very short sermons. We agreed probably, yep. or we came out doing that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Although I've gone from about seventeen to thirteen or even eleven minutes. Uh, one time you dropped a seven-minute one on us at uh, when you were guest preaching years ago, and we wondered if we should give you the full honorarium. <laughs> was it a bad sermon? No, it was great. I think Nain. I've done. A seven minute as well. I've hit. Uh, um, hey. Sometimes it just you do a disservice to the text when you just feel like you got to. That's right. Round it out. That's right. Well, we're about time. We we were hoping to do multiple. How much time are we at, Michael? We're uh, over an hour. Man. So remember when we were talking beforehand? I'm like, I think this topic will be enough to fill the whole hour. And yeah. you, you disagreed with me, Wade? No, Mike did. I did. I suggested these. No, as I said you I, I was kind of hoping that we would go boom, boom, boom. At the beginning you know, of this episode but, or before yeah. we recorded? No, at the beginning of this episode. We'll have to listen. Oh, okay. Maybe I did do it in the episode. Anyway, anyway, but, we, uh, we are hoping to do more, but that's okay. We'll just uh, keep going and, and maybe do another episode right now. We'll see. Uh, we're hope that you find a preacher that gives you the gospel. We hope that you are given the... Uh, freedom in the gospel, and we hope that you'll come back and listen to us more. Until and if then, you're, if you're a preacher, you've been given the gospel, yep. not just to give your people, um, but that that gospel's uh, for you. And find yourself someone to remind you that too. I would say. But sorry, go yeah, ahead. Absolutely. Well, until we uh, come back, let the bird fly.